0: before we begin please take note that due to the nature of this topic some adult themes are discussed in the main interview thank you for tuning in to exploring boys education a regular podcast produced by the international boys schools coalition i'm bruce collins ibsc director of membership engagement and i'm really excited about season two of exploring boys education if you haven't yet given season one a listen Do so on your favorite podcast platform now. In season two, we'll be tweaking our format slightly, and we're eager to hear what you think. We have some challenging and thought-provoking conversations lined up for you, and we hope that these interviews will spark similar conversations in your schools and in the homes of your students. Laurie Hamilton-Durban from Town School for Boys in San Francisco who featured in a recent Exploring Boys Education episode, was instrumental in connecting us with our guest for this installment. Laurie highlighted to us when we were speaking to her the important work Justine Ang Fonte is doing with regards to health programming in schools. In particular, Justine's understanding of pornography and its impact on boys is insightful. Hence, Our conversation with Justine later in this episode focuses on just that, pornography, the sexual health of boys, consent, and other related issues. Justine teaches in K-12 schools, presents to universities, speaks on panels and at conferences, trains faculty and parents, and consults in both public and private institutions on building socially just and comprehensive health programming in schools. In building with schools, Justine develops health programs that are intersectional, anti-racist, sex positive, multidisciplinary, stigma busting and relevant. Now, let's talk with Justine Angfonte about, amongst other things, pornography, the sexual health of boys and consent. So Justine, it's it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Uh, welcome. Um, I know our audience is looking very forward to hearing from you.
1: Thanks for having me, Bruce.
0: Great. Before we launch into, into the easy stuff about boys and pornography, <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you give us just a short introduction of who you are and um, I'm I'm really fascinated to understand how you became passionate about this work in particular. Why is that important for you, and how did you get to this point where um, you you advise on 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 sexuality education and pornography and a whole host of things in that line?
1: I would love to share that. So currently, I work as the director of health and wellness at a K through twelve independent school in New York City, and I got there because ten years ago. I was um, located in a classroom uh, through a teaching program that um, had students in the eighth grade, which is around 14 years old, um, who were already pregnant and trying to do school. And, um, when I tried to do some digging as to, you know, how this has come to be, it really, um, surfaced that there were a lot of systemic health education, um, issues that were not giving students the proper education to know more about their body, um, and the agency to actually take care of it in a way that is fit for them. And so, I started to explore health education um, as a math teacher teaching seventh and eighth grade math in, in Hawaii. And um after two years of that, I really became passionate about pursuing specifically sex education. Um, I used to be a high school peer health educator, a sex educator, and figured that I could now kind of put my teaching experience as a math teacher with the content that to me uh, was a lot more interesting. And so I pursued the master's in public health and uh, flew all the way from the island of Oahu to the island of Manhattan and got that master's degree in public health, focusing on sexuality and health. And this is where I really started to understand um, sex ed through a public health lens. And was fortunate enough to land the land the job that I have now. Um, Looking at beyond you know issues around unplanned pregnancy, but really about sensuality around um, you know sexual health, of course, around power and agency, intimacy. Um, And uh, in in the classes that you know I started to teach, I saw that students were using pornography as their default sex education, Um, and that made sense when you know you're living in a society that's so sex negative, meaning that you. Know, people aren't addressing it in in constructive ways, students are going to resort to the, the channels that, you know, are easy for them to access. And they were using pornography in a way to instruct them on how to have sex, who they're supposed to have sex with, what their bodies are supposed to look like when they have sex. And I found myself doing so much unlearn, uh, teaching them to unlearn those ideas.
0: Yeah, yeah i suppose in in many ways, very rewarding work, but uh, i'm sure very challenging at the same time
1: yeah it, it's slow progress, but uh it is very rewarding i've
0: always wondered about um about schools and and the fact that you know I used to be an English teacher at a at a boys' high school, and I always had the sense that the time I had with the boys was so short you know and, mm-hmm. in in five years or four years. There would be so much work to do, and yet they seem to pass through our hands so quickly. Um, And and so I'm sure there's tension in that as you do some of your work with, with kids as well.
1: All the time. I mean, unfortunately, most schools do not prioritize health education. And when they do, they don't give it the same amount of class time as the other subjects. They don't consider it a core subject. And so you know, health educators, sex educators are really squeezing in either a lot of information in a short amount of time Um, or, you know, really trying to hit, if you will, the greatest hits and that are not always the greatest topics to cover. And so you have a lot of people who are outsourced to come in to consult or guest teach and, you know, have to hit, um, STI prevention or unplanned pregnancy. Um, and, and that's kind of it. And going in with that approach, um, is very fear-based and that's not how sexuality should be introduced or taught to our young people. But when they aren't given the amount of time that, um, they deserve, it makes sense that they want to, you know, address, uh, the things that affect their physical bodies the most when we really need to focus on the emotional aspect of it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm fascinated by this conversation already and, uh, uh I wanted us to focus on 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 pornography today, particularly as you say many many students are turning to pornography for their their sexuality and sexual education and so why don't we dive right into that conversation? Sure. Uh, I've listened to some of your other podcasts and and videos where you speak about porn literacy and 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 I think that's so important for educators of boys um, when you think of this. Um, idea of porn literacy what is it that you think boys schools educators of boys need to know and understand about pornography because I do think many teachers have a have an idea of what pornography might be but aren't necessarily porn literate and so when they're dealing with boys in their conversations around pornography there's a there's a gap in understanding
1: yeah yeah The number one thing I tell my students of any gender is that the porn industry is an entertainment industry. And when it's an entertainment industry, it is not meant to educate you. Um, And unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, with the sex negative culture that we're in, uh, they resort to this entertainment industry to get instruction as to what their bodies are supposed to look like and how they're supposed to behave. And this becomes really problematic when they implement what they have learned from the screen into their actual um, relationships. And there are a lot of different you know, facets of how this impacts them from you know, anxiety around communicating with other people, not knowing how to deal with rejection, not knowing how to practice consent, um, seeing protective methods being stigmatized because they're not used um, in, in porn. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things around race that get amplified um, with how they are, how, how people are viewed in the porn industry. So all of these things don't get really thought of when people are watching it because they're watching it to, you know, seek pleasure. But this gets internalized as as truth and as education for them that they start to implement it in their real world.
0: I, I'm I'm wondering as you're speaking, you know how 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 do teachers become porn literate with, without necessarily jumping into watching pornography?
1: Sure, you know I don't even. I mean, I I it's helpful, I guess, to know what porn looks like if the, you know a teacher has never ever seen it before, which I would find it hard to believe. But, you um, know. <laughs> Uh, there are so many resources out there, especially with um, middle school and um, with high school. There are so many articles. There are so many um, great cartoon videos. I really recommend Amaze.org. And I use a lot of their materials in my sex education classes. And um, what they show is, you know, cartoon images and video footage of, uh, you know, the implications of porn and how it's not representative of real life. And these are things that I show with my seventh graders when I teach these lessons on on porn literacy. So they are not watching porn. They are watching porn literacy. And, um, you know, in the same way that we're they're watching and exposed to commercials or even Hollywood films, Right. There are so many things you can unpack uh, on a media liter- literacy component there. You know, what are the power dynamics between, you know, the 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 female in the story versus the male in the story? What does it imply about her role in that relationship? Um, you know, and, you know, did they did they consent before that make out scene occurred? You know, you can unpack so many things in um, non sexually explicit material. You can also do that with sexually explicit material like pornography. Yeah.
0: I was just as you were, as you were sharing about your grade sevens, a, a thought struck me and I think this thought would be on the minds of many of our listeners. You know, h- how early does this work start in schools? You know, I, I think very often people might think, well, that's something for high school mm-hmm. or start with that with uh, ninth or 10th graders. Yeah. Um, is, is there, is, is there actually a, and importance to starting these conversations earlier rather than later?
1: Absolutely, you know, the research is showing that uh, boys as young as eight years old are exposed to porn. That doesn't mean that they are proactively seeking it out, but pretty much as soon as they have a smart device, they have access to porn. And, you know, the porn industry is an aggressive one where they want to um, target and do target the most vulnerable of their clientele, who are the most curious about their body, who are the most vulnerable about their body um, and, you know, intrigued by what they're seeing on the screen so that they can become early um, consumers of their product, if you will. And so I would say, you know... If you're waiting even until they're eight when they've already been exposed to it, you're going to first have to teach them to unlearn what they've already seen and the narrative that they are already starting to write about what, you know, in, is involved with sexuality. And when it comes to sex education in general, I highly recommend that this starts in schools at the earliest grade, whether it's pre K or kindergarten. Um, it needs to start early. And for parents, it needs to start as soon as they are able to communicate with their child. And so if you're building these foundations around agency, around power structures, around intimacy and sexual and reproductive health, when they are exposed to porn, they're gonna be able to make sense of that as, oh, this doesn't align with how I've been taught of what sexuality is. So, hmm, this must be something else as opposed to this is fact.
0: Before we continue this conversation with Justine Ang Fonte, We're going to be checking in with Amy Ahart, Chief Operating Officer of IBSC for the IBSC Newsreel. Amy, what's new at IBSC?
2: Hello, and thank you so much, Bruce. IBSC recently released a statement affirming all efforts to end racial inequity and social injustice, which can be read in its entirety on our website. Additionally, IBSC trustees established and resourced a diverse global task force that will provide strategic and longitudinal oversight for IBSC as we seek to build anti-racist schools that embrace all intersectionalities of each boy's identity and create greater access and care for boys of color within our member schools worldwide. This task force will report back to IBSC trustees in January and to member schools at the 2021 IBSC Annual Conference in Barcelona, Spain.
0: Certainly important work. Um, And as you mentioned, the statement and details of the task force can be found on www.theibsc.org. We also have some exciting online programs coming up in September. Um, Why don't you talk us through some of those, Amy?
2: Bruce, we're so excited to launch our IBSC Ideas Lab Professional Conversations for Heads of Boys' Schools program It launches in four regions starting in mid-September. Designed as an interactive exchange among colleagues, IBSC Ideas Lab engages dedicated educators who learn and grow together. Each session starts with a 10-minute introduction from a global guest to jumpstart a facilitated conversation on the topic. Together, we surface fresh ideas and build mutual support structures and enduring professional friendships.
0: Amy, I am as excited as you are about the Ideas Lab program. And just a reminder that more details about these programs can be accessed on our website, and heads of school can register and sign up now for this exciting opportunity. Amy, thanks for being with us. Now back to the second part of our conversation with Justine Ang Fonte. I want to move to the idea of of boys' understanding of healthy relationships, sex, uh, and consent. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned those things already. uh, And I want to explore a little, you know, is there, there obviously is a link, but in your experience, what is the link between pornography and boys' understanding of healthy relationships? Yeah. Uh, sex and consent
1: yeah i'm going to start first by mentioning that the thing with porn is that it can be good for us if sex ed is good sex ed is not good worldwide right now and so it, it, porn becomes by default their sex education so until we give them those the, those building blocks they're not going to be able to unpack the fact that this is it's a wildly fantastical version of reality And so when they are using this as their metric of sexual, um, you know, prowess, if you will, or success, um, and using these as their goals and uh, their goal points, um, they are, they're getting a very skewed, you know, version of, of this experience. Um, So one thing about pleasure with porn is that it's basically pleasure on demand. When you want to seek pleasure because you are aroused by something, you get it when you want it and you can press rewind, repeat, replay, fast forward, whatever you want. You basically get exactly what you desire as soon as you want it. Now, if we were in a porn literate world, this can be a very powerful thing. You can have identities represented in ways that we don't see in Hollywood or in commercials. You can see desires that aren't, you know, um, know, are mainstream. And that can be a very validating, empowering experience for some. But this is far from the education that they are ready for when they are still needing to build those building blocks. So when you're experienced with um, pleasure on demand, you don't understand what rejection is like. So in the real world, when somebody says, mm, I, I just don't feel like making out with you or no, I, I'm not ready to have sex with you. That is something they have never practiced because when they are horny, they are used to be a- being able to get what they want. And so already you have that first problem right there. The the other aspect, too, is that porn, as it becomes your regular form of, you know, um, se- sexual experiences, it doesn't prepare you to think about how the other person could be feeling in that moment because of what you're doing. It's a very one-way street. And sex is meant to be an exchange, a dialogue, a relationship. That really fosters intimacy. And you can't have that exchange or that dialogue if you don't understand that a consensual relationship involves more than one person. And so it's hard to practice consent when it's never been modeled for you and it's in an and sex is in an environment where it's always been a one-way street. And so there becomes this, you know, entitlement that I get to have what I want because I want it. Because I've been able to do that every time I press play. And so when you have a real person there, then you don't really know how to navigate that conversation well. And this really um, impacts their understanding of what a relationship is, you know, how to relate to somebody else. It becomes this, you know, solo act that, um, you, you become socialized to believing you can, you know, experience without needing any, um, any conversation.
0: Yeah. And I suppose that's where the lines, the lines of consent get blurred then as well, if that's, if that's your point of departure.
1: Exactly. Because then it, it people assume, you know, well, you must want this because I want this. And that's the problem with the golden rule. It assumes that, you know, you're going to treat others the way that you'd want to be treated. And if I use that concept, that framework, I, it doesn't necessitate me asking you what you want because it, I can assume it's probably what I want. And it's a very one-way street. So we want them to start actually asking, "What what feels good to you? What do you want to do? Do you like this?" These are questions that already aren't being asked in, uh, you know, a lot of young people's um, sexual experiences.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, I'm also interested to hear what your view is on on um, involving parents in these conversations. Uh, I think uh, many schools might find it difficult to have. Conversations around pornography or even sexual education or sexual health, um, because the the parents at their school might be uncomfortable with mm-hmm. that conversation themselves. Uh, you know, how do schools go around navigating that space when clearly our mandate is to educate these boys and this is part of their education? But h- how do we bring parents on board?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a it's a it's an interesting one because I have a spectrum of parents that I have, um, you know. Um, been in conversation with all the way from, oh, yeah, you know, they are totally exposed to this. And I'm I feel helpless as to how to address it. Better you than me. Thank you for doing this <laughs> all the way to you're going to be introducing my child to pornography. Um, and that seems very illegal in their eyes. So there's a really a wide spectrum here. Um, and, you know, what I would say to in those situations that the latter situation is that, you know, I don't want your talk, the, the talk to be you teaching them or teaching them to unlearn things, uh, because they were already exposed to something that went against your values. Oftentimes, you know, uh, when the Me Too movement, you know, really launched a lot of parents were starting the talk for the very first time. And for me, I said, you know, that's tough. If I'm a young person hearing about sexuality for the first time through the lens of sexual assaults, I'm never going to view sexuality as something that can be empowering or beautiful or pleasurable because it's being introduced to me in that way. And porn has the potential to do that for our young people. And that's why we have to get in there before their exposure to the racialized sexual violence, to the sexual assault, the power dynamics, the, you know, skewed body image, the lack of barrier methods, the lack of consent, because, Parents are then going to be left with having to know how to undo all of that. And frankly, that takes a sex educator and their credentials to be able to do that well. And so it's really important for schools to partner with parents on these issues, because as you mentioned, a lot of parents aren't equipped with this because they themselves never got comprehensive sex education And so I really encourage a lot of the schools that I'll consult with that they also have a parent education component that is paired with their sex education component so that everyone is on the same page about the content being covered. And those conversations continue outside of the health class at the dinner table, on the drives to school, you know, on, you know, whatever conversations they're having with their kid.
0: But isn't it a case of, of really, you know, the more you educate, you, t- you take the fear out of the conversation. Also, think, yeah. you know, w- when parents feel empowered to also have those conversations right. in an open and authentic way with their kids, with their sons, then, then surely that's better for everyone.
1: I, I agree. I agree. I think a lot of parents, you know, just want to avoid the conversation because they don't know how to have it. Um, and, you know, when I've had parents opt out of, you know, some of the porn literacy classes, um, I, I tell them, here are the resources that I hope that you will have at home um, under your control and your environment um, so that, you know, your job is a little bit easier if you're not going to have your child attend, you know, our lesson together in the school. Um, but, you know, I think it's I, I want to believe that, you know, parents want their child to have safe, fulfilling and pleasurable sexual lives whenever that is in their life, whether it be, you know, in high school or, you know, after they get married. Regardless, safety, fulfillment, pleasure has always been kind of like my my mantra and my three, the three tenets of, you know, that I hope that students, um you know, are able to achieve. And right now, with porn being the way it is and the way that sex ed is, we are really struggling to reach those, reach those three goals.
0: Hmm. I mean, I I get the sense uh, that if we don't do this properly, you know, generations of, 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 of young men, of children are, are, are not going to be adequately prepared for all sorts of things as they get older.
1: Bruce, it's already happening. It's not, not just with the behaviors around sexuality, but how they perceive women when, you know, Online dating is such a you know growing um, you know trend, and you know as these boys enter that world, they will start having the narr- the narratives that they built in their heads around pornography and implement it into the images they're seeing on these online dating apps. Oh, Asian female, she's hypersexualized and you know subservient and is going to be able to be dominated. Great, um, black female, hmm, never deemed pretty. Because this is exactly how porn depicts these bodies. Asian males, then we're seeing are, uh, you know, are desexualized. And then we have black males who are deemed as criminal. And a lot of the terms used to refer to them in porn are, you know, ex-con, you know, bangs, Latino boy. I mean, these are aggressive terms. I mean, this is scary language that if a parent really feels that they can handle undoing that information, you know, in their, on their own, then, I mean, I guess go for it, but know that there are actually people that are really specialists in this to help their children at the age appropriate level, build those building blocks so that when they see BBC, they know, oh, this is racism. This isn't what reality or, you know, humanity should be adopting, but they are seeing these racialized sexual images and thinking, oh, this is fact. And that's exactly how it, you know, impacts their own dating life, their own relationships, and how they perceive other people.
0: So, I mean, I think there's a sense here that that there's a call for schools to to really be intentional and serious about these conversations.
1: Absolutely, it is a part of the sexual assault prevention process. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, I mean, I'm um, uh, it really struck me as you were speaking that you know we can't we can't wait anymore we've got to be courageous we've got to be bold we we've got to employ people who are professionals and are, who do this well um to to help us on this road i want i want to close this 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 part of the conversation and 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 move on to a more general kind of question about about sexual health and wellness uh, for boys and and i think as we've spoken you know these these two topics are related I want to talk briefly just about strategies that you suggest for for schools who would like to roll out programs um, that prepare students adequately for healthy sexual engagements.
1: Yeah, I mean, as we talked earlier, you know, on this, starting as early as possible is best, right? And so, when I say we're starting earlier, we're not talking to them about porn, you know, when they're six years old. We're talking to them first about their body. What is your body's function? What are the parts of the, your bo- of your body and how do those parts function? So I think You know, first and foremost, we need to normalize body parts by using medically accurate terms to refer to all of them um, so that they don't default to sexualizing those body parts or stigmatizing them or seeing them as dirty. So, first and foremost, just language, making sure they understand and know uh, what their body parts are, how to name them and label them, um, and what they do. Um, Second is talking about, you know, the spectrum of sexual identities there is a, uh, you know, I'm sure in your podcast, the words toxic masculinity have come up before. And, you know, a a part of that is recognizing that that patriarchal, you know, um, uh, construct is really coming from this idea that boys have to be one type of identity. And so I think having them see that they can express themselves in all sorts of ways um, and understand who they are in all sorts of ways um already gives them some of that freedom and liberty to to feel safe if they are feeling um you know that they are interested in other boys if they love other boys if they want to express themselves in more feminine ways um but if when we restrict them you know it doesn't mean that it goes away it means that we are repressing this and it's going to come out in 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 other ways and in many ways sometimes violently Right. And so we want to make sure that we are um, really validating and affirming all of the different identities that they could they could um, they could feel and be. Um, and I think part of that, too, is, um, you know, exercising empathy that even if they aren't, you know, born with certain anatomy, they are learning and empathizing with things like menstruation. They are understanding what biology looks like for people in other world, in, uh, you know, in, in the rest of the world. Um, so that they can understand how to interact with those bodies, you know, in the future um, or in their current relationships. And it's important that the adults in the room that are teaching them these things, whether it's coming from an English class and the books they're reading, because they're reading books from a lesbian author, you know, or they're in a, you know, writing reflection around their identity and how it, you know, um, is aligned or parallel to the character um, and, you know, about All their different, you know, intersectional identities. We're giving them um, adults in the room that are of all genders, of all, you know, identities, so that they can see that these are, um, that this representation means that they can live in, in, in those identities as well, one day or while they're already, you know, a growing young person. So there's a lot of things that we can do that have nothing to do with pornography that will actually mm-hmm. help them to feel more secure, safe and free to be who they are. And so that when they see these really extreme images, they're able to see, OK, that could be one way that somebody might want to you know, express themselves or interact with another person. But that isn't the strict um, you know, template that I'm supposed to follow because there are many ways that I could be a man. There are many ways I can be a boy and there are many ways that, um, I can interact with another person. But right now, porn is their default. It's their template. And that's what we need to, 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 you know, undo.
0: It's amazing as you're speaking. You know, in 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 the in the coalition, we speak a lot about creating schools where every boy feels like he belongs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you know, as you've been talking, you you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, in terms of belonging to, uh, you know that that broader understanding of what it means to be a boy, what right. it be, means to be a man, um, is so important. And, and I'm so glad that you you highlighted that. Yeah. Justine, we're we're running out of time. Um and this conversation has been fascinating and again I'm so grateful to Laurie for for introducing us. Um I know there are going to be lots of people who want to reach out to you possibly or particularly schools in in North America e- engage with you. Uh, how do how do our schools um, access your work. Um, and and if they want you to engage with, with them or their faculty or um, their parents, um, how do they go about sure. doing
1: that? Sure. Uh, they can all reach me through my website, justinefonte.com
0: great yeah Uh, and and i've been on their website i must say and um there's some fascinating resources on there already i mean just on 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 the one page there there are a ton of links to podcasts that you've done and um other videos that you've done as well so i think even if people start there there there's a whole host of material that that they can get started with
1: yeah thanks
0: so thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show, and um, I trust here. that I trust that it's been a pleasure for you too. And definitely, and,
1: um, I'm so glad that boys are talking about this or will be talking about this in in their schools.
0: So what then is our response to this conversation? I think we should take up Justine's challenge and facilitate open and honest conversation in our schools about pornography, consent, and the sexual health of our boys. For more, again, visit Justine Angfonte's website. Uh, there are loads of resources and links to other things there. We would love your feedback on these podcasts and we'd love to add your voice to the conversation. If you have any insights you'd like to share, please send those on a voice note to me at collins at theibsc.org or via a message to plus two seven seven one eight nine one one eight nine eight. We'd also love to start featuring boys' voices on these episodes. If you would like boys from your school to feature on Exploring Boys Education, please also reach out to me. Thank you for giving of your time and listening in to today's episode. I'll be back on air soon with Natasha Devon, an expert from the UK on mental health in schools. With many schools trying to navigate an extraordinary school year because of COVID-19, the mental health of our boys and faculty is so important. In my conversation with Natasha, she highlights some of the things of which boys schools need to be aware in these times. To our member schools in the Northern Hemisphere who are in various stages of returning to school, all the best as you do so. And to our Southern Hemisphere friends, strength for the final stretch of your academic year. And until our next episode, continue to keep safe and well.